Jesus. Why don't you uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke and chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, please. You'll notice as we, uh, as we do that, and as Dane prayed, we are going to be uh, partaking in and, and uh, celebrating in the Lord's Supper today. And uh, it'll be a, a special time. I hope that you've uh, thought through that a little bit, and we'll have time during the service to think through um, how satisfied we are in Christ alone and not in anything else of this world. But we are in Luke chapter 4, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 13 today. And the other accounts of this, as we harmonize the Gospels, uh, you'll see this account in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. You can read that later for your further study. Uh, listen, as we continue through, last week we talked about the approval of, of Christ uh, through his baptism. That, that, that There we saw Jesus, obedient to the Father to be baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. We saw uh, the, the Holy Spirit descend on him uh, like, like a dove, an appearance of a dove, and, and he was filled with the Spirit and anointed unto ministry, uh, saying, this is, this is my Son. Father then, Father then speaks at the same time, this is my Son uh, in whom I am well pleased. There's just the account of just this seal, this stamp of approval on Jesus. And again, our theme is written so that you might believe. And think about that. The, the, the words of Christ, uh, the works of Christ, the, the gospel accounts of Christ are written so that you and I would believe. And that by believing, we might have life in his name. That's the theme verse. This is all about Jesus. It's always only been about Jesus. And he is on, always only good and satisfying for us. So as we look to the gospels, let us not think that it is about something else. That it's, it's about being better ourselves. It is always about what Jesus has accomplished. And today we continue this approval of Jesus. We see him as he, as he goes into the wilderness led by the Spirit and is tempted by Satan. And it says he's tempted for 40 days. We see this temptation take place. We only see the last three at the end when he was hungry finally, right? But he was tempted all the while. But he's, he goes in there led by the Spirit. Not, he didn't find himself isolated and wandered off alone by himself by making a bad choice. He was led by the Spirit. And we'll see that Jesus there finds sufficiency in his relationship with the Father and the sustenance of the Spirit as God's Spirit and his angels are attending him there. But God, God underst- Jesus understands that God's provision for him is, is of the utmost perfect type. That there is no other provision that would satisfy, that only God satisfies and that God can be totally trustworthy. So we're going to see that today uh, as we go through that. And, and we see how Jesus' faithfulness to God overcomes temptation. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll read our entire text, and then we'll break that apart. All right, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful for your great love for us. God, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds today to be receptive to your word. God, there's so much packed into the word of God, and God, as we look at your, your word and try to harmonize the gospel accounts of the, the life and work of Jesus, God, help us to focus our eyes on him squarely to see him for who he really is, not to make up some, something that he's not. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good man. He's not uh, just a religious icon or a moral subject. He is God in the flesh. So help us see him as that and to believe in him and through belief in the Son that we would have life in his name. We ask the Holy Spirit to be at work within your church, convicting us of sin, moving us towards repentance. God, that we want to to repent from our sin, repent from the ways we're tempted. We want to come to you in faithfulness, God, and overcome temptation. We want to be found faithful. And God, we, we ultimately want to say, not only to ourselves and our own heart and our families, but to the world, that you are the most satisfying of anything. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Luke chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 13 together. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit 
in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live by bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then, if you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Now, as we look at the temptation of Jesus, again, my, my primary focus, our, our primary focus should be that this is the approval of Christ, that Christ goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and to show himself as approved by God and to show himself as trusting in and his faithfulness in God is so supreme that he can be approved, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one to whom we must give our allegiance and believe. He went into the wilderness without and lacking and Satan offered him all kinds of ways to fill him up. But he rested in the provision of his God and Father. He rested in that. He took comfort in that. He, he had faith in that and thus was faithful to overcome temptation. Now, I want to mention a, a note or two about Christ being tempted. Because the question is, could he have actually sinned? And we're not going to go into a huge, deep theology on this. But I'll say two things. The answer is no. Christ could not have sinned. Uh, and here, here's the reason. We, Christ is God in the flesh, and God can't be tempted by sin. God can't sin. We see that in Scripture. But as, as a man, here, here's the interesting part. Here's how it was effective. As a man, God, God came in and put on humanity, put on flesh. He became man. So he had these, these pains and sorrows and griefs, and he had hunger. He felt what we feel. So as a man, he felt those pangs of temptation and the anguish that he had over those and in those. Think about that. Think about the anguish he had before he went to the cross. He was in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He was sweating as drops of blood, anguishing over what was in front of him. Why? Because he was, he was human. He had 100% humanity within him. But because he was God, he was not able to sin. So, so why temptation at all, people ask? Why, why would you even try to tempt Jesus? Why would Satan do that? Well, Satan wanted to do whatever he could to stop Jesus or to get the upper hand. He, he continually wanted to be on top. He wanted everything else to be subservient to him. That's why he fell from heaven. And now he sees God humble himself. He says, maybe I can get the upper hand. But what we know, even from Genesis 3, the promise there was that although Satan would bruise his heel, that's all he would do, his head would be crushed. That's, that Christ would ultimately conquer Satan once and for all. He would never be able to get the upper hand. But he knew he could bruise his heel. And, and so it might, might, while, while it might be impossible for Christ to sin, it's never impossible to attempt the impossible. Right? That's, that's the truth here. It's not about, well, would Christ falls? No. Satan was buying a lottery ticket. He was going to try. 
It's never impossible to attempt the impossible, even if it's impossible. You get that? I think I do. I don't know. Here's the beauty of the promise, though. Christ felt all the temptation that we felt. He was tempted in every way as we were. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 says this. We do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with all our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet is without sin. He's without sin. So we have a high priest who came down and wasn't, wasn't like, this is all foreign to me, temptation, what is this? No, he took on human flesh and experienced that down deep. He understands the pain and the pangs of sin and temptation, although he didn't succumb to sin. Temptation is usually brought to us in three different ways we see that. I want, I want to see uh, read a verse out of 1 John chapter 2, and this is a way that Satan tends to tempt us, any of us. It kind of fits in these three categories, and really it's in one category, pride, but here's what it says, 1 John 2, 15, and following, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, fa- the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we see that. We, we can stop there. Jesus was not in love with the world. He loved the world, so he gave himself to the world. But he was not in love with the things of the world because the love of the Father was in him, right? So this is the contrary. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and here's the description. For everything in the world, what is that? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions, or the pride of life, and what other translations say, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world, with its lusts, is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is an encouragement for you and I as believers, as children of God. But we need to understand that there is sin out there, that there is temptation, and that Satan tries to come at us. But, but our, our goal should be to love the Father more and, and to, be, to, to overcome the world because he overcame the world and not to pursue the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Why? Because those things are passing away. Those things will always only disappoint. While they may feel good for an instant, they will always only disappoint and leave us empty. They will never satisfy. Now Christ knew this as he came to the wilderness. He knew what really satisfied. He knew the promises of God. He understood that. He understood the faithfulness of God and that he was going to be faithful to God. So as you look at this, let's look at four, three, four different ways. We see Jesus' faithfulness that overcomes temptation. We're going to talk about each one of those, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the first one is this. Jesus' faithfulness overcomes temptation because he was filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We see the first part of this scripture is that Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's that's amazing, right? For us to be led by the Spirit, we have to be filled with the Spirit. We have to be sensitive to the Spirit. We have to know that God's Spirit is there directing. So he he is led by the Spirit. What, What happened just before this? He was baptized Right, and and the at, at Jesus' obedience and setting himself aside, the Holy Spirit then descended on him, anointing him for service and work unto the Lord. At that point, the Holy Spirit filled Jesus. And the Father then said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? This stamp and seal of approval was put on Jesus. Just before he goes into the wilderness. There's this huge approval and this anointing and this filling with the Spirit of God. And what God is saying, your ministry is starting. The work that I, have, the, I, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, have ordained since before the foundations of the world is about to take place in its fullness. So Jesus, go and be led into the desert to be tempted. Like, Wait, why? That's not very nice. To show and prove that now is the time. To show and prove that you 
are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that anyone who would believe in you would have life in your name. Show that. It says he was led by the, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was, he was hungry. Isn't that crazy how it says that? It's, it's just, wait a minute. When they were over, he was hungry. 40 days of fasting. I'm like, what, what day is it? No, no, it's like three hours in and I'm hungry. Right? Three hours in. It shows the sufficiency that he had with God. That He was totally satisfied in the provision of God. That he totally trusted in the provision of God. That God led him there. And that's what we get out of this, right? He didn't, again, he didn't wander off into isolation on his own. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days by the devil. It's like the story of Job. God said, go for it. Consider my servant Job. Right now, God didn't tempt Jesus. Satan did. But God led him there by the Spirit to be tempted. Mark tells us this, that immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. I love that. Because that, that shows us from that Psalm 91, that promise, that prophetic promise from God. And Satan quotes this later. It says, For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. This is a prophetic promise from God, talking about the Messiah. His angels will guard you. His angels will tend to you. And Mark tells us that. The angels were serving him. Some other accounts we see, I think it's Matthew's account, we see that at the end, the angels attended to him after he, he went through this brutal temptation. Angels attended him and Satan fled. What we really see is angels had been and were attending him, strengthening him, taking care of him. But the Spirit had driven him to the wilderness, and he was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan with the wild animals. And, and during those days, he ate nothing, and when it was over, he was hungry. And that's where we kind of pick up and see what happens next. But I want to stop for a minute because we see this, these, this, this uh, temptation that, that Satan's going to conjure up. And what we need to understand is, how does it affect us? I mean, because I'll, I'll be honest, I'm in the wilderness for three hours, I'm hungry, I want a loaf of bread, right, or something. So what happens here? What, what, is the, what is the way that you and I can refocus our own affection, our own faith, and our own faithfulness back to God so that he will sustain us? Well, it's a promise from God, and we see it in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Every temptation you and I face is common to humanity. Everyone else would face it. But God is faithful. See here, how can we be faithful? Because God is faithful. Our faith should increase because his faithfulness increases. His promise increases. His provision increases. How is God faithful? What does he provide for you and I? God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's amazing. I fall, I fall into temptation and to sin so many different ways. Uh, and and I, I read a verse like this, I'm like, how am I doing that? If God, God says, listen, I, I'm, temptation's going to come, but I am going to be faithful. God is, and it, and it breaks my heart that God, every time I've sinned or fallen, that God has been right there faithful to me. Faithful to what? To not let me be tempted beyond what's, what I am able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so I'll be able to bear it. That's for you and I. Jesus is the Son of God. He was divine. He was God in the flesh. He couldn't sin. He could experience temptation. You and I can. And God says, I, listen, I, God, God is going to be just, just as faithful to Jesus as he was to you. He's faithful. He will always provide a way out for you and I. That you and I could bear it or stand up in that decision. 
I want to I see a, read a passage out of Ephesians chapter 5. This is a faith thing and an increasing of faith is what we're talking about. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Uh, just to pause there for a minute. Make the most of the time, right? Uh, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. If we want to start standing up under temptation and saying, I can bear this, I, I won't fall into it. If we want to experience the faithfulness of God that he presents himself as during our temptation, you and I ought to be faithful as well. Faithful to what? To pay attention, to look around, to be, be ready for temptation as it's going to come, to know that I might not put myself in that situation because I know that will be a struggle for me. Or I'm going into this situation, I know it, I've got to be careful, I've got to live wise, not be unwise as I go. We can make those wise decisions as we go. We need to be careful and be alert. Uh, Peter tells us to be alert, right? The, the devil ro uh, roams around to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. So stay alert. Be careful then. Pay attention then. It goes on. Don't be foolish. Oh, we just talked about that, right? It's reiterating the fact we are to be wise, to use wisdom. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do we do that? Well, we read our Bible. We pay attention to his word. We get into it. And then we know better. I tell you all the time, like, the more you know, like, for me, my, my dad and my mom, I, I heard their voice in the back of my head all the time when they weren't around. Why? Because I lived with them, and they, they talked all the time about what was right and what was wrong and what they, uh, what they expected of myself or my brother. It was always there. And when I'm always in the Word, it's going to resound in those times I need it. It's going to come, come to mind and come to memory when I need it. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And it says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living but be filled by the Spirit. So there, there's things we can be filled with that aren't the Spirit. And it's not just wine, but of course wine is a great, a great illustration because the alcohol in wine or the alcohol alone just will trans, uh, transform your mind, the way of thinking. It will take away your inhibitions and you'll kind of do whatever your body wants to do. Well, that's not a way to live. That's not wise. That's not being controlled by the Spirit. That's being controlled by the flesh. Don't be drunk by wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and in doing that, there's an overflow, right? If I'm filled with wine or something that's not the Spirit, it overflows in wrong behavior or in sin. But when I'm filled with God's Spirit instead, what happens? There's an overflow. We speak to one another then in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make music with our hearts to the Lord. There's a thankfulness and an attitude for us. We give, give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. There's a lot here to unpack. It's a whole other sermon series. But, but just thinking that we're giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the attitude that Christ had as he went into the wilderness. He was thankful for the sustenance that God the Father had provided him, for the promise that he would continue to endure, for God's faithfulness that it would continue to provide. He knew that. And you and I should know that, that through Christ and the, his death and burial and resurrection, that we have access through faith into the strength of faith that just should well up in us. Thanksgiving and always thanksgiving, thanksgiving always for everything that God the Father has done through Jesus Christ. See, our thankfulness comes from faithfulness to God and being filled by the Holy Spirit, but the more we're thankful for what God has provided, the more our faith increases for what God has provided. And it's a cyclical thing. It builds itself up. So be careful. Pay attention. Walk wise. And understand there's no temptation that sees you except that's what's common to man, and God is going to give you 
a way out. So Jesus' faithfulness over, to overcome temptation came because he was filled and directed by the Spirit of God. Number two is this. His faithfulness overcomes temptation in the form of lust of the flesh. Right? The temptation was lust of the flesh, and that's what he overcame. Verse 3 of Luke 4. I think your notes say like 4. Luke 4. My notes do at least. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. The devil said, if you are the Son of God. The devil was not asking if Jesus was the Son of God. This is like this, an authoritative, very passionate. And here's, here's the translation that would be better. Since you're the Son of God, not in a questioning way, but Jesus, listen, he's, he's tempting Jesus. He's not tempting Jesus to prove himself. He's tempting Jesus to abandon his faithfulness to God as the beloved Son. Satan says, since you're God's son and, and you're hungry, let's make this stone into bread. Jesus answered, man must not live by bread alone. So Satan here, and I want, I want us to make an under, understanding here. A lot of people in the world reject Jesus. A lot of people reject Christianity as true. They reject the Bible. They say it's not right, it's bad, it's, it's, it's hooey. I, I, it's, listen, Satan and the demons in Scripture always testify that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Always. They know it. They say it. So not only does God reveal Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and by, by believing in him we'll have life in his name, uh, the demons do too. The good guys and the bad guys all say the same thing. What happens in the world? Absolute blindness and numbness. And say, so, ah, no, I'm not going to believe either of them. I'm going to believe something totally different. That's just a side note. Satan knows who God is. Satan knows who Jesus is. His demons know and testify to that. But still some disbelieve. Still some disbelieved. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter six or chapter eight, verse three. But I want to read more of that. Deuteronomy eight, two through six, and give you some context here of what he's quoting. He says, Remember, this is this is to the Israelites, this is to them as they're in the wilderness. And remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey, these forty years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you and test you and, and to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. It was a test. He was testing his people. Testing to see, would you, would you as my people revel in my faithfulness and, and love how I'm sustaining and providing for you? Or are you going to mock and complain? Are you going to sin and make false idols? He goes on, he says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat. So he provided which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where does our sustenance come from? Where does our provision come from? From the Lord. Where does Christ come from? From the Father, from the Lord. And, and, and there's, there's a reason, I think there's a really strong reason Jesus quoted Deuteronomy. Because he talks about the 40 years they were in the wilderness. How long was Jesus tempted? 40 days in the wilderness. And what's neat about this is this illustration, and it proves. We know that the 40 years in the wilderness, as they spent out there wandering, Israel did not pass the test. Jesus, as he wandered for 40 days in the, in the wilderness, did pass the test. He was the one who could fulfill the law and the prophets. He was the one who could, could be totally faithful to God and, and everything that comes from God. 
sustained him. He says, your clothing didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell for these 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Listen, God is the one who provides. And Satan, as he comes and says, oh, God can't, that's basically what he says to Jesus, God can't provide. It is God who will provide and protect Jesus. The temptation is to be satisfied through self-appointment or self-appointed means to make bread out of a rock rather than to trust God's provision and protection. And just as God had demonstrated his faithfulness to the Israelites those 40 years in the wilderness, he also demonstrated his faithfulness to Jesus those 40 days by leading them there, by sustaining him, by giving him what he needed. And while Moses constantly reminded Israel not to doubt God's goodness and provision, Jesus also had the promise from God when he was baptized, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, I will, and all the prophecies concerning him, my angels will guard you and protect you and sustain you. We have, a, we have a job to do. We have a mission to accomplish. What the devil was really suggesting was perhaps that God was abandoning Jesus and Jesus would be better off looking out for himself. And that's the age-old lie from Satan, isn't it? You can look out for yourself better than God can look out for you. you that's what Satan wanted. I, I can be God. And that's not at all the truth. It's a lie. See, the mission that, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had was a mission of redemption. A mission to send Jesus into the world to take on flesh so that he could make payment through his body, through his flesh for our sins. He understood more than ever as he was in the wilderness tempted by bread that that bread would never sustain. The bread that would only sustain is the bread, the flesh that he offered. That he is the bread of life. John tells us that later on. John 6 Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Jesus speaking of himself. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Listen, it's so important for us to understand when Jesus goes in, he wasn't wandering aimlessly and blind. He didn't, wasn't helpless and hopeless. He knew the mission of God. He knew that God had sent him there, sent Jesus to earth to be the bread, to be the provision for you and for me, that we would be only satisfied in the bread from heaven that came down in Jesus. He knew that. He was on mission in the wilderness. He knew that he was the provision of God for us and that God provided him as that provision and God would provide for him to be that provision. He didn't need to turn a stone into bread. He was the bread. And for you and I, as we celebrate Lord's Supper in a little while, that is what we realize. That our, that our faith in the faithfulness of God is in his faithfulness to send Christ to be the bread of life. That in his flesh and in his blood, only through that, only through faith in Christ, can we have forgiveness of sin. Can we be made whole? Only are we fully satisfied in Christ and through faith in Christ. God, through Christ, has provided everything for us. So any attack on God's goodness and, and provision would be wrong. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy us more than Jesus Christ. Number three, Jesus' faithfulness to overcome temptation. He overcame the lust of the flesh. 
then the lust of the eyes. Number three is lust of the eyes. Look at Luke chapter 4. We're looking at verses 5 through 8 together. He goes on. It says, Satan, what do you do next? So he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is given this perspective of all the kingdoms of the world. It's like from above, like in a vision, in a moment. Satan says, Look at what I can offer you. Look at what you're missing out on. Look at what you can have, the authority. And he's looking to this fleshly desire and need for power for prestige, for rule, and he sees it all over the earth that it could be his. And his flesh is tempted that way, but as God in the flesh, he, he's not going to come, uh, succumb to that. Satan presents all earthly power to him. And he's just like a salesman. Get this, Satan's like a salesman. He, he knows what you are missing, or at least what you feel you're missing. He knows what you feel you're missing. He points out all the goods there to Jesus. Where Jesus in the wilderness has nothing, he's being offered everything. Now, get this. Jesus in the wilderness is, is at a low point in his life. He's at, a, at the beginning of his ministry. He's being tempted in the wilderness. He's fasting. He's hungry. He's, he's needing something. And, he, and what's sustaining him? God is sustaining him. And that's enough for Jesus. But this is God in the flesh. And God is sovereign and has always, ever only ruled the cosmos. So as Jesus now in his humility takes on flesh is ruling nothing, he is there de wholly dependent on the Father and the Spirit and his angels to be sustained. So Satan says, shouldn't you be ruling? Shouldn't you have power? It seems like you don't right now, but hey, look at this. I'll give it all to you. All you have to do is bow down to me, worship me. Now listen, this should, this should remind us to count the cost. Because the truth is that, that Jesus was going to be given this anyway. So the temptation is, at this point, Jesus, you feel absolutely no authority. You have no power. You are, you are all this icky humanity on you. How can you even survive like that? You should be rightfully ruling. And God, God should be rightfully ruling. So it almost made sense to Jesus, right? But he responds back, and, he, and for us to, to count the cost, we should be reminded to count the cost. Satan usually dangles the carrot says, eat the carrot, eat the carrot. I'm hungry, eat the carrot. But he, he very seldom, or, or kind of in the fine print, finally says, but here are the consequences to this action. What are the consequences of this action? I mean, for Jesus, it's to forsake the will of the Father so he could have authority over all the kingdoms of, of the earth, which he will eventually have anyway as sovereign Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. But he's dangling the carrot so. Come, I'll give you all of this. This is, this is what you should have. You, you deserve this. Think about that for you and I. Think about those shiny new objects that we're so, we're so attracted to. We feel we so need or so deserve or so earned that would benefit us or benefit our lives. He dangles that carrot. He sets the bait on the trap and we don't even know it's a trap and we go right after it because we question and he questions and makes us question the sovereignty and provision of God, the satisfaction that we can have in him alone. We're oft, we often, too often, take the bait 
before we understand the consequences. Jesus knew. He, he knew, I, I, I'm going to have authority over this anyway. He didn't have it at, the point, at that point, but he would. And it's interesting, Jesus', Jesus response here. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He, all, all Satan asked him to do was what? Worship me. Bow down and worship me. But there is a connection between what we worship and what we serve, and that's really important for us to understand. Jesus knew that. He said, no, it's not just about bowing down to you. Because when I bow down to you, I'm going to have to serve you as well. That's what he says. And he says, you got to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the mind of Christ, it's evident that worship and service are closely connected. To worship is to always serve. It should always be that way. When we worship something, we serve that something. The same is true in our lives, right? The things that our affections grow towards are the things that we ultimately serve. Test it. See. Test this through the way we spend our time. It'll tell you what you worship. The way you spend your money, it'll tell you what you worship. The way you use your skills and abilities will tell you the way you worship and tell you what you serve. We're to serve God alone. And, and Jesus understood that, again, this authority was going to be granted to him. Psalm 2 says this in 7 and 8. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. And it says in verse 8, ask of me. And I'll make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. He knew as, as the, the, the one, the Messiah out of the house and line of David, that he would be the one to reign and rule forever. So the temptation here was for Jesus to turn his back on God and God's provision and, and the fact that God was going to sustain him and move him through a mission and then to seize all earthly power instead. And that was the temptation. Or he would receive it from God's hand anyway graciously as it had been promised. That was what he understood. The consequences were, wait, I, I'm going to lose what I have from God if I take this from you, and I'm getting this from God anyway. Why should this matter at all to me? He understood that. No offer was great enough to persuade Jesus to abandon the Father. No offer. He wasn't about to switch sides. So Jesus' faith in God's provision, his faithfulness to God overcame temptation of what he saw with his eyes. And then finally, number four, his faithfulness overcame temptation in the way of the pride of life, his pride, his ego. Luke chapter four, verse nine through 13. So Satan, he says, so he took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, since you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. It's interesting how Satan switches gears here. Jesus has continually come back against Satan with what? He quotes Scripture. And he said, no, no, I'm going to trust in the sustenance of God and, and that will be my provision and his word is enough for me and, and I'm not going to trust in, in regular bread. It's, it's only the bread that comes from God through his word and what he said. But he switches gears. So Satan quotes scripture himself and Satan realized that the angels of God had been and would be continuing to attend Jesus. Uh, there's this battle, there's this very real sense of Satan and Jesus in the ring together in this 40-day period of time. Like It is not just like, I'm feeling the temptation. No, it is Satan there accosting him, the angels there attending him. There is this huge battle, this, this huge amount of emotion and energy being spent during this time. 
Jesus is being tempted. So he, he quotes scripture to Jesus. And, and, and here's, how, here's how it relates to the pride. Because you think, well, what does he say? He says, go up to the temple, right, and throw yourself off. Because you're going to be protected. Well, what's the pride here? He was asking Jesus if his spiritual nature could really be trusted. Okay, Jesus, fine. You're the son of God. You're the beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Yada, yada. You're the righteous one that came to earth. Great. Since you are, you can do whatever you want. He, he's going to sustain you and protect you. And, and that's, he, that's the response Jesus has had the whole time. Yeah, he's going to sustain and protect. The promises of God are going to endure. So he says, since that's true, since you're the righteous one, since you have this great spiritual uh, nature about you, you, God can be trusted. And, and what he's saying to Satan is, is again, this is the real age old, old lie. He's essentially saying this to, to Jesus. Did God really say that you were his righteous and beloved son? Did God really say that you were the way, the truth? Did God really say that you were going to be the provision and the bread from heaven? Did God really say that? And, he, and the temptation is there. Jesus is like, yeah, he said that, of course. I'm, I'm his beloved son. He said that. I'm the righteous one. Well, throw yourself off. You're not going to be hurt. The angels will take care of you. It says in the word that will happen. This goes back to testing God's care of Jesus and Jesus' trust of God. He essentially suggested if Jesus is God's son and is righteous, then God will protect him. So Satan brings him to the temple. And this temple, why the temple? Well, it's a place of closeness, right? That was a place that people went to be close to God and in community with God. If you couldn't feel close to God there and protected by God there, then where could he? He says, go ahead, Jesus. Just let go and let God. Trust God. Jesus should trust God. And in, in doing so, this is what Satan's saying. That Jesus should trust God in this. Throw yourself off. And, and, and as you do, listen, Jesus, as you throw yourself off, as God protects you, uh, it's going to confirm that God, God's goodness rests on you. His, his provision is going to be substantiated as you jump off of this. It's not true, though. It's a lie. Christ's refusal to put God to the test did not come because he was afraid of God or afraid if God could not prove himself. He wasn't, see, that's, that was the fear being introduced. It, the temptation was this. Not that, oh, you're really not the righteous one. The temptation was, can God really be trusted? Can God really be trusted? And that, that happens to us as well. Right? Christ's trust in God was so grounded that he, he saw no need to put God to the test. He understood that a test like this would really be unbelief. Unbelief masquerading itself as faith. Oh, yeah, you're right. He, he should protect me. I'll, I'll go up there and, and check. Well, that's not faith. That's unbelief. That kind of unbelief says, I don't, I don't think you'll take care of me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a place where you'll, and I'll give you a situation where you're going to have to on my terms. And that's what you and I do, don't we, with God? God can be fully trusted. God has fully provided for us. For you and I, we have been given Christ, crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. That through faith in Christ and his shed blood, uh, as we partake in him and as Christ lives in us, we have everything we need. But then we start feeling a little bit lonely. Then we start feeling a little bit lacking. And we say, well, since I'm a child of God, and he, because he loves me, he must want this for me, so I'll test him. God, give me this sign. Send me this. Then I'll know you really love me. 
What's the sign he said? I am the bread that come down from heaven. I'm the one that went to the cross. What more sign do you need that I love you than that I died where you should have died? I was nailed to a cross that you should have been nailed to. I was buried in the ground like you should have been buried. I was separated from God like you should be separated from God. And I did that so that you, through faith in Christ and what I've done, could have life, could have eternal life, and have hope and joy forever. If that doesn't doesn't say he loves you, what does say it? Christ wasn't about to succumb to this. See, when we say, God, I don't don't really know that you take care of me, so I'm going to make you prove it. There's really no confident faith being shown there. There's no established faith in what God has already done being shown there. God is good, and he's just, and he has proven himself over and over again. I want to read two last passages today before we partake in this Lord's Supper. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15 and 16. This is a verse I alluded to earlier. It says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. Like, listen, we, we, he gets it. He understands the weaknesses we face. But we have one that's been tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Therefore, here's the promise. Because we have Jesus who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, because he's overcome sin, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness or confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's still there providing. He's still there sustaining. He's still there giving us what we need to overcome temptation. He's still there, and he's able to do it because he has gone through the pains of temptation himself and come away unscathed, or at least not sinning. Final verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. I want us to see this this faith, this, this proven character of faith and what this produces in us. 1 Peter 1, 3-7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What a great promise. There's this hope in Christ that we have because of his, of his death and his resurrection that through faith in Christ, he is keeping us for eternity. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, you rejoice in this. Even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which is, although perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, God's power has been revealed right through faith in Christ. God's power to sustain us, to nourish us, to give us every provision that we need as he's given himself and his body and his blood and and through faith in Christ. He is is here and securing that for us. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation. And you rejoice in this. See, that... What happens in temptation? Rejoice in temptation. Rejoice in suffering and in trials. They're going to come up. Satan's going to want to throw us off. But God has overcome Satan. And through faith in Christ, we have overcome. Even though, and we rejoice in this even now, even though we, we face various trials or suffer grief, so that the proven character of your faith is refined. Just like Jesus was in the, in the, in the desert. In the wilderness. As he was tempted there, his faith was shown more brightly for what it really was. A faith that was in the sustenance of God and the provision of God. And yours and mine is the same. As we face trials and temptation and tribulation, 
we know that our faith is being refined and proven as absolutely adequate in all the ways that God has provided for us, especially through his provision of the cross. I love the last part there of that scripture. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. For a time. You know, we're going to have victories, but Satan's going to be back. He's going to be knocking at the door. He's going to try a different way. That's why we have to be alert. That's why we have to, to stay prepared and, and to be wise, not unwise, and, and go with the word of God to, to understand that we have been fully sustained and fully provided for. And listen, overarching everything, as Satan, Satan tempted Jesus, as Jesus went into the wilderness, Jesus went there led by the Spirit to be tempted in order to show that God's provision was real and secure and would never be thwarted. What's revealed to us is this, that Jesus proved once and for all that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he'll continue to prove that. And as he proved that, he, he says that for you and I, that, that we would believe we would have life in his name. Don't resist Jesus, the one who has overcome temptation by his faithfulness to the Father. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, I thank you that as we look at Jesus and his trials and his, his temptation through, uh, through these 40 days, through the wilderness, God, that we see an ultimate trust in you and the sovereignty of God and the provision of God. That even though he humbled himself and, and left authority and position and, and ego aside, he knew that it was for the best good and for the glory of God. And that mission, Lord, was that he would come to, to seek and save the lost, to, to offer himself as the bread of life, that for all who would partake in him, they would have eternal life. We thank you for what he's provided. As we share today in, in communion, in the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see and savor Jesus even more. To come to the table, not because we're, we're, we've earned something or that we're good, but we come to the table because Jesus is good. Because he has provided everything and we have trusted in him alone. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.